Hey everyone, welcome to the Activate Podcast. My name is Joe Pelkey, and it is my prayer that the Activate Podcast will help to activate our faith by looking into the Bible, and that it will help activate our very lives into service to God and to people. So if you'll join with me for the next few minutes, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right into what the Bible has to say. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is so applicable to our lives. I thank you that your word is like a mirror and that we can look into it and see ourselves for who we are. We can look into it and see who you are. God, I pray that as your word goes forth, that we would see you and want to be more like you, that we would see your ways and pick them up as our very own. God, I pray that you would continue to transform each and every one of us, that we would not be the same people next year that we are today, that God, we would not be the same people next week that we are today, that you would continue, God, to transform us, change change us to be more like you, to be more effective for the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would go and do the work of the ministry. I pray that each one of us would find someone to minister to. God, I pray that each one of us would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to change lives the same way that we continue to be changed by you, by love, mercy, grace, truth. God, help us to be agents of your love and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Today we're going to be talking about sin, but we're not talking about our own sin today. We're going to be talking about the sins of other people. Ah, we can all relax. It's really easy to talk about the sins of other people, isn't it? It's really easy to call somebody else out on what they're doing because it's so easy for us to see from the outside of their lives looking in. It's so easy for us to point out things, see things, recognize things in other people. So today we're going to talk about what do we do when we see sin in other people? Well, we're going to take our cue from someone in the Bible. Because the Bible is just like a mirror to us. The Bible, it says it it separates the intent of our very hearts. So we may feel like we're doing something good, but God sees the intent of our very heart. He sees why we did that good thing, if it was an evil motive or if it was a good motive. So we're going to take a look and see what happens when we see sin in someone at church, when we see sin in someone in our family, in someone that's in our friend group, what do we do with that? Well, let's take a look at Ezra chapter 9. Now, Ezra was a scribe in the Old Testament, and he is speaking to God's people at the time that they are coming back from their exile. So that means that God had his group of people, the Jewish nation, the nation of God, and they had sinned for so many years that finally the Lord, after warning them and warning them and telling them to stop sinning, he told them exactly what would happen. And it came to pass and they were exiled to Babylon and they were made slaves. And now just a remnant of those people are coming back, finally coming back to Jerusalem. And Ezra is recording all that's happening as they come back. And he's recording the families that are coming back, their names and how many people are are in their family. But in Ezra chapter 9, we see Ezra confronting and seeing some of the sins that this remnant of people still have. This remnant is supposed to be the good that's left. 
So there's this whole nation of sinful people, and there's only a remnant left. Now, we would venture to guess that this remnant was the holy group, right? They were the good guys that withstood this whole exile, and now the good people are returning. We would think that, but this group of people had sin in their lives as well. And when we look at our own lives and we see all the seasons of our lives that we've passed through, some seasons in our lives seem more sinful than others, don't they? We can point out times in our lives that outwardly we could see sin in our lives. Then there are seasons where our sin is more inward and nobody else can recognize it, but it's going on in our hearts. But the same thread runs through every season of our lives. Whether we have hidden sin or we have public sin, little sin, or a lot of sin, this thread runs through every season of your life and mine. And that is this. We need a Savior. There is no season of my life where I hadn't needed Jesus. Every season of my life, I need the blood of Jesus Christ to cover over the sin that's in my heart and in my life. I am never completely free from sin, except for those moments where I'm asking for forgiveness. But like we said before, the Bible looks at the, the Bible and the, the Holy Spirit of God looks at the very intent of our heart. He looks at why we're doing a good deed. It looks at why we've helped someone out. It looks at why we're even reading the Bible. He's looking at the intent of our heart. And so if every season of our lives, we have so desperately needed a savior, there's no season where we've needed him less. Every season the same. Every season the same. And I venture to guess that those seasons where we feel like we are free from sin, it's because God's giving us a rest and he hasn't revealed it all to us yet. If God were to reveal every sin in your life right now, I guarantee you wouldn't be able to handle it. Because he's judging every piece of us. He sees just like we are. It's easy for us to point out the sins of our brothers and sisters. How much more can God see into our hearts and our lives? How much more can he see into me? And so I stand a sinner in need of forgiveness in every season of my life. But thanks be to God that he doesn't see me as a sinner. He sees me as righteous and holy. But not, nevertheless, I have to remember that my thread that runs through every season is that I need Jesus Christ. I need his forgiveness. I need his covering. Without Jesus Christ, I can't stand before God. Without the covering of his sins today, I cannot stand before God. And so if we ever for a minute take our eyes off that fact, if we ever for a minute think that we can do this on our own, we are lying to ourselves. We need Jesus today, the same as we did yesterday, the same as we did the very first day that we called upon the name of God. Today is no different. Today we need Jesus. We are all the same. We are all the same. We all need Jesus. We all don't need a self-help book or an amount of money. We don't need a situation to change. What we need is Jesus. What we need is the Holy Spirit of God. And so we look at the, the nation of Israel 
right, in the book of Ezra, and they needed Jesus, but Jesus hadn't come yet. They needed a Savior, and they couldn't get their sin fixed. They couldn't get things taken care of, and they were exiled, and now they're coming back. And do we think for a moment that they are perfect? Do we think for a moment that they are free from sin? They're not. But Ezra hears about the sin of these people. And in Ezra chapter 9, it records how Ezra sat for days and wept. He cried for days at the sins of these people. The Bible says that he put on his mourning clothes. He fell to his knees, lifted his hands to the Lord, and he prayed. And this is Ezra's prayer as he's recognizing the sin that's still sitting on the nation of Israel. The sin that we thought would go away hasn't gone away. He says this, Oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you. For, catch this word, this is what Ezra's praying as he's just learning about the sin of these other people. He is ashamed before God and he says this, For our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. This is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced, just as we are today. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace for the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some relief from our slavery. For we were slaves, but in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us to slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God and to repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our God, what can we say after all of this? For once again, we have abandoned your commands. Your servants, the prophets, warned us when they said, the land you are entering to possess is totally defiled by detestable practices of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruption. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. Don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. Don't ever promote the peace and prosperity of those nations. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong. And you will enjoy the good things the land produces. And you will leave this prosperity to your children forever. Ezra 9.13, we continue in his prayer. And he says, now we are being punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt. But we have actually been punished far less than we deserve. And he goes on and he continues to pray. But recognize a few big things here in Ezra chapter 9. In his prayer, he calls the sin of his church members, basically, the sins of his brothers, his sisters, his friends, their sins, he calls them his own. He calls them our sins. Let that sink in for a minute. With the person that you're thinking about their sin, the person who you're pointing at their sin. Every one of us can imagine someone in our lives And we can identify, oh, that person's sinning in this way. Oh, that other person, they're sinning in this way. Ezra's first reaction was deep sorrow. So to mirror Ezra, 
When you hear or you see or you're exposed to the sin of someone else, there should be deep sorrow. It says he mourned for days. He didn't get on the phone for days. He didn't write obscure Facebook posts pointing out the sin that his brother or sister had. He didn't go and tell other people about the sin. No, he went before the Lord God ashamed. Ashamed. He was full of sorrow. And he asked God for mercy on those people. He was full of sorrow and asked God to be merciful. When you hear of the sin of someone else, could you find yourself on your knees? Could you find yourself full of sorrow, saying, God, please, I stand in the gap for my brother, for my sister, for my friend, for my church, for my pastor, for my leaders. God, please have mercy. God, please forgive us, us for our sins. And you know what happens when you begin to pray prayers like that? You begin to see a little mirror come down before yourself. And though you might not have the same exact sin that that person has, it is a reminder that you are part of the human race. You are part of the seed of Adam who is full of sin. It reminds you that you are not so much better. It reminds you that you are not higher than your brother or your sister. It reminds you that you are one and the same. But then it reminds you of an even greater fact than that. And that's that you are part of the seed of Jesus Christ. And that seed of Jesus Christ covers every sin. It covers your sin, but it also covers your neighbor's sin. It also covers your brother's sin and your sister's sin and your pastor's sin and every other person's sin in this entire earth. It reminds you of that thread that goes through every season of your life. It reminds you that you are forgiven. If it wasn't for Jesus, you would be in the same place that your brother or sister is. And so sin should bring us to a place of sorrow. It should bring us to our own place of repentance. It should be, God, if my brother can sin this way, so can I. God, show me how to build character that goes deep. Show me how to have love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness. Jesus, help me to be gentle. Help me to be self-controlled. Only by your spirit, God. And then Ezra, in this prayer, he also says, God, you have given us less than we deserve. You could punish me far more. What if we had that heart for other people? Because so many times we see other people sin and then we see their circumstance and we say, it serves them right. They got what they deserve. That's not what God looks at the human race and ever says. That's not what he's ever done to us. God looks at us and says, oh, I'm not going to give them what they deserve. I am not going to give them what they deserve because they deserve death. But I'm going to give them something better. I'm going to give them life and life eternally. I'm not just going to take away their sin. I'm going to take away their sin and I'm going to bless them forever. That's the heart of God. Our hearts can be so far from that. Our heart can want our fellow man to get what they deserve. I thank God I didn't get what I deserved. I thank God for the forgiveness of people in my life, of church members in my life, to continually forgive me, to give me mercy and grace. 
to act like Jesus concerning me. May I act like Jesus concerning them. How many times? Until you go to heaven. That's how many times we're going to forgive. That's how many times when we see the sin of other people that we're going to be filled with sorrow. There was an amazing pastor's wife. And I remember she used to uh, hear about things that were happening with other people. And she would get angry. But she would get angry at the devil. She would hear about something that someone had done to somebody else. And instead of pointing at that person and being upset at that person, she would say, the devil's a liar. The devil's a jerk. I hate the devil. And she would turn her anger towards the devil. And she would turn her attention towards God. The Bible teaches us that we don't war. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the rulers and the principalities of this world. We fight against spirits. We don't fight against people. And so when we see sin abounding, when we see sin creeping into the church, when we see sin creeping into the lives of other people, we don't lash out at them. We lash out in prayer. We lash out in prayer and intercession. That means going before the Lord Almighty and saying, God, you got to change my heart. You got to help me out here. By your Holy Spirit, make me more loving. By your Holy Spirit, help me to see them as you see them. Help me to to desire good on their behalf. And Ezra states, God, you didn't give us what we deserve. Let's pray that over those that are sinning. God, don't give them what they deserve. And then in Ezra chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. Well, Ezra prayed and made this confession, weeping and lying face down in the ground in front of the temple of God. A very large crowd of people from Israel, men, women, and children, gathered and wept bitterly. Then Shakna, son of Jehel, a descendant of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God, for we have married these pagan women of the land. But in spite of this, there is hope for Israel. And he goes on to say, Now let's change our ways. Ezra didn't stand and point out everyone that was doing wrong. Ezra got on his knees and he wept before God. And his contrite heart was attracting the people around him to say, yes, this is where we need to be. This is what we need to do. He was a leader. You can be a leader. Your leading comes in the secret place of prayer. Your leadership starts when you get on your knees before God. Your changed heart, your reaction to people, your love and your mercy to other people will be a leadership building block in your life. It has to be a deep character trait that's deep within you. So then the whole nation begins to change. The whole nation begins to say, you know what? We need to follow after God. We can't marry pagan people. We need to repent of what we've done and come to a place that God wants us to be. We look even over into the next book in Nehemiah. Nehemiah hears about the sins that are going on in Jerusalem, the same thing that Ezra's talking about. And in in Nehemiah 1.4, it says, this is Nehemiah, and he says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. Again, the first step when we hear, of sins of other people should be sorrow. 
the first step should be sorrow. Because I know that God looks at our sins. And he doesn't go and gossip about them. He doesn't celebrate. Oh, I knew they were going to do it. It brings him sorrow. He doesn't want for us to sin. You remember in in the garden where he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. But he wanted him to have that same fellowship with him. And sin has separated him. Sin is separating your friend, your church member, your brother or sister from the Lord. It should bring us sorrow. So Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, and this is, this is Nehemiah's prayer. Oh God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of un." failing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. He's praying night and day for these sinners. How long have you prayed for the person who's caught in sin? How long have you mourned and fasted on their behalf? Because you're not battling against them. You're battling against principalities of this dark world. You are an agent. You are a representation of God. You are his. You are in his army. You are his soldier. You are on mission. Why not stand in the gap for someone who's caught in sin through prayer? It goes on. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we, he says we, Human race, we, people, brings you back to that realization, that knowledge that you are part of the human race. We have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place where I have chosen for my name to be honored. Nehemiah goes on. But at the very end of the book of Nehemiah, he's continuing to... Be upset about the sins of other people. And in verse 23, Nehemiah 13, 23, it says this. This is kind of funny. Get ready. About the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women of Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. Now, th- those nations were nations who, who served pagans, gods. Those are people who are literally sacrificing their children to wooden idols. These are people who are steeped in evil, and they're marrying them. The Bible is very clear about not marrying someone who does not follow the same God that you follow. And so he realizes, Nehemiah realizes this, and Nehemiah does something different than he did before. Before he had sat for days before the Lord and fasted and prayed, and now in verse 23, about that same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them 
and I called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel, but even he was led to sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing the sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? He acted completely different than Ezra did in this situation. Ezra called out to God and then the people came around him and repented. They said, well, do whatever you say. I want that same contrite heart that you have, Ezra. But Nehemiah went up to him and was punching them and pulling out the hair of their beards. And that didn't lead them to repentance. It didn't lead them to the same uh, confession, did it? Sometimes we are more like Nehemiah. Sometimes we're more confrontational where we just go up and we beat people up with our words. It's like pulling out their beard hair and it doesn't get them to a place of repentance. It may get our point across, but the point we're getting across is not love and mercy and repentance. The point we're getting across is hard, mean, rude. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. If we mourn before the Lord, if we get angry at the devil, if we repent as if it's our own sin, and we say, God, our sins as the human race, I see that I, I am not without sin. And then when we go to that person, after praying and fasting and standing in the gap for them, and we go to them, we're not going to go to them yelling and beating them. We're going to go to them like Ezra did as an example. And he's going to say, hey, I'm following God. Come follow God with me. And because your spirit is so humble, because your spirit is so void of anger towards that person, very likely they'll say, okay, I want to repent. I want to live for God and God alone just like you are. I want what you have. But the example we have with Nehemiah We don't see that whole group of people saying, oh, Nehemiah, you're right. We really do need to live for God. We see him banishing people and kicking people out. Job 1.21 says, everything I have is from God anyway. Everything I have is from God anyway. So when I look at somebody else and I judge them, I'm thinking, I'm better than them. The Bible's so clear that it's not up to us to judge, it's up to God to judge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Not mine, period. Mine says the Lord. He's going to fight our battles. Does this mean that we never confront sin? Absolutely not. We should confront sin, but we should confront it full of love. We should confront sin full of love. How do we get love for someone who's sinning? We remember who we are. We remember we are them. They are us. We are the human race. We say our sins. We, we look at what somebody else has done and we don't say, oh, I would never, ever do that. Well, you've never walked in their shoes. You don't know. And the truth is, the day that you first sinned, you were just like them. 
I would never, you have, because you've sinned against God Almighty. We are all in a big group together. And so our sorrow should be the first thing when we hear about the sins of someone else. God, forgive us, the human race. Forgive me again. Forgive me. Forgive me. And then we go to battle for that person in prayer. And then, only then, and only if God gives us permission or puts us on mission, do we confront that person. And we certainly, certainly do not gossip about it. We certainly don't spread the word that somebody is broken and wounded by the enemy. We don't make fun of the person broken and wounded by the enemy. No, we help them to heal and to be restored and to recover. When God could have given us death, he gave us life. And when you have the opportunity to give your brother or sister death, I urge you, give them life. Be like Jesus. Forgive until you take your last breath. This can only happen when we spend time with Jesus. This can only happen when we're regularly reading the Bible, regularly coming in face to face with the King of Kings. Because we as humans, this is not a natural thing. Forgiveness and healing and life where there should be death. This is supernatural. This is Christianity. This is being a Jesus follower, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, because Jesus forgave the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. God, we need supernatural help when we see other people sinning. God, we want to be like Jesus. Help us to be like your son, Jesus. Help us to look at people and in the moments where we could breathe lies, where we could breathe death, where we could breathe condemnation, where we can breathe evil, help us to breathe life. Help us to breathe peace. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to stand in the, in the gap for sinners and to pray on their behalf. God, I pray that we would be sorrowful, that God, we would mourn and weep on the behalf of others, that God, our hearts would be changed to love those who are sinning. Help us to care. Help us to not condemn, but to care. And Jesus, if you ever give us permission to confront sin, God, I pray that it would be full of love, that it would be full of of your heart, not our superiority, not our standing looking down our nose because of our lack of sin, and they're full of it. But God, help us to realize we are one of them. They are one of us. Help us to see and to know that we, we stand as the human race, all of us in need of a Savior. Jesus, thank you for saving us. Jesus, thank you for taking away the sins of the world. Thank you for taking away the sins of my church, of my pastor, of my friends. Thank you for taking away the sins of my brothers and sisters and friends. Thank you for taking away my sins. God, help me to live like Jesus. God, help us. Help us to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.